Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number eight of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Mush, because every sports bet I make turns to mush. And I'm here with my esteemed co-host, who is the popular VWAP trader on Twitter. In the 90s in Vancouver, you might catch him at 2 a.m. shooing troublemakers out of your favorite club. Nowadays, in Saskatchewan, you might catch him at 2 a.m. shooing moose and elk off of his property. Of course, I am talking about the gorilla of House Street, JJ. JJ, how's it going? <laughs> Good, Ray. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing excellent. Glad to be on another pod. And today, our guest is one of the leading mindset coaches in the financial markets industry. A man with over 20 years experience as an investment bank trader, a host in his own rights of the Alpha Mind podcast. I'm talking about Stephen Goldstein. Stephen, how's it going? Thanks for joining pleasure us. Pleasure to be uh, pleasure to join you today, guys. Yes, yeah, awesome. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, you know, just a quick reminder to all the listeners. Uh, me and JJ would greatly appreciate it if you guys would rate and review this on whatever podcast platform uh, that you are listening to it. And uh, so, yeah, with that, uh, we'll uh, get right to it. So, Stephen, um, so tell us a little bit about your background in trading and then how that led you into becoming a performance okay, coach. So I'll, um, I'll try and keep it brief, but uh, I started in the mid 1980s here in London working for a Japanese bank. Um, so I joined the, the rates and FX desk. And um, I moved around a little bit after that. I joined Credit Suisse in the early 90s, where I was trading uh, rates and interest rate swaps and some FX products as well. Um, and I worked on the, I joined the propriety desk at Credit Suisse. And um, I, I did that for a few years. And then I moved to Commerce Bank, a German bank in London. I'm sure you're familiar with that, your, uh, your listeners. And then in the, uh, in the early 2000s, I joined American Express Bank, which was a small bank. It was a banking arm of American Express. And uh, I worked there until 2009. And um, then not quite in an overnight move, but uh, I made a choice to become a coach. So uh, I, I was um, the, the idea was put in my mind from my uh, my former coach. So so about 10 years earlier, I'd, uh, I'd worked with a coach and he had a dramatic uh, impact on my trading career. And uh, I went back to him in 2009. It was an interesting time in the markets. I was at a, a career crossroads. I was actually looking for a job in a hedge fund, if I'm perfectly honest. And um, he had lots of contacts in hedge funds, which he put me in touch with. But it, it was his own uh, own suggestion that, uh, you know, had I thought of, uh, of decided to become a, a coach myself. And I I couldn't get that out of my mind. It was uh, it was one of those things that I, you know, I weighed up over the next few months um, whilst doing a bit of trading for myself on my own and talking to other firms about getting trading jobs. And that's the uh, that's the route I decided to go down. Hmm, awesome, awesome, cool. So, so the clients that you uh, work with are you um, you working with institutional traders, buy side, sell side, retail, all the above, all the above. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And uh, that your company, um, Alpha That's RQ. Right. That's right. Yes. And you, you uh, uh, what year was um, this founded? Well, it was. Well, I started coaching 
unofficially in 2009. Afro Cube was founded in 2012, um, but it was it was when I decided, you know, I'd been working a couple of years by then, coaching people, and I just decided to formalize it into a company. Okay, awesome, awesome. I, um, you know, I was uh, looking through, uh, you know, your website, looking at, you know, the different team of people you have, and I, I came across uh, one of your coaches is a psychometric consultant. Yes. Um, what, first off, what, what is that? And how does that help? You know, what, how, what would be the benefit? Okay. To so, so this is Natasha. She's, um, she, she's, uh, she's both a coach, um, and, uh, she's a psychotherapist as well. And, uh, she's also worked in the industry, not, not on a trading desk, but close to it. But, uh, she, she does a lot of work with psychometrics, helping people understand their pers- personality, their risk personality, um, the, the different aspects of how their how their personality affects their decision making, how they take and manage risk and run risk, and and it it shines a light on these aspects of of the way they work. I mean, I, I use some psychometrics myself with people, uh, particularly trying to identify risk personality, and it, it, it's it's very powerful. It, it helps people. You know, we've done some research on it, and we see we see different types of personalities working in different ways with risk and and it's it's really interesting because if you're not working in a way that's congruent to your personality you know you're fighting yourself and and you won't succeed it's it's not it's not a matter of if or when you won't because you are fighting with yourself if you're working a way that working in a way that's congruent with your personality well then you've got a much greater chance of of succeeding you know you're bringing the best of yourself to your work Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, it, it, that was that was something that really uh, you know struck me from like you know reading the reading the interview you did with Beyond the Trades. Um, that I always thought that's a good approach, like that people a lot of people don't give advice to, and that like leads me to my next uh, like question, like you know. Uh, I want to know your thoughts on like, I don't know if you've seen some of these like social, uh, like guru, like trading gurus on social media, I guess what people call them. Um, what's your thoughts on people like the, and the, the potential pitfalls with following someone's advice or following someone's trading plan uh, without developing like, let's say their own or like. Okay. So, I mean, I, I've, you know, it, it's hard to say because you don't know who these individuals are. You know, if, if they're someone who's, who's got a background in markets and has succeeded, um, then, you know, I mean, their advice might be okay. I mean, I, I always tell people, follow your own advice. That, that's always been my, you know, I, I don't give advice. It's strange, but as a coach, I don't advise people. I, you know, I, I work with them on trying to get them to know themselves and how to bring the best of themselves to their work and, and to sort of work on the blockers and the derailers that hold them back. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the idea of giving someone advice. You know, I think mentoring is different, you know, and I think every trader should have a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's it's hard for private traders and retail traders because you know, unlike unlike myself, and I'm and I'm sure like JJ as well, you know, when you work in an organisation or a firm, you get people around you that you're you're learning from and you're learning with, and uh, yeah, you know, I don't know how people do it. Retail traders on their own, just starting out on their own with no one really giving them a bit of advice, a bit of support. So if if those so-called gurus and mentors. And they're giving them that, you know, that's great. But I'm, I'm not one for giving people trades and telling people what to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to ask one more question, uh, then I'll kick it off to JJ. Um, 
you uh, you know, there's a number that's always like thrown out around there that's saying that like 90% of traders fail. And, and in your interview, you said it's actually closer um, in your estimation to 99%. Um, and, you know, if, if that's the case, right, then, you know, at those odds, why would someone even want to attempt to become a profitable trader? Why would they even want to like, you know, get, go down this as a pursuit? Right. Okay. So, so it, it's interesting. I mean, 99% is probably being a little bit generous, if I'm honest. Um, I, I got that number from some, you know, some extensive research, which was done by some academics at the University of California, who, who they analyzed 15 years worth of data of retail traders and day traders on the Taiwanese stock exchange. So it was over 400,000 individuals. So it was a huge, huge wow. pile of data. And I think when they when they finished up, they found that only 1% of that group, of those over 400,000 people, was able to make a sustained career trading. Now, it's not the same as in any one year. So about 80% of people in any one year, they found made money. But it wasn't consistently the same people every year. And in fact, they only, you know, the, the ones who who could sustain a career was less than one, I think slightly less than 1%. And actually only a very small percentage of those, maybe about an eighth, really made the big bucks. And, you know, we've, we've got um, a really interesting podcast coming out this weekend with a guy called Garth Friesen. He, he's a hedge fund manager in the US. And when he started at, uh, he started at Merrill's, he tells a story of, um, you know, the manager saying that, you know, within a few years, there's only going to be about 10% of you left. And that was in a bank where you get support. You know, your odds are far better in a bank. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think those numbers are about right. But I don't think it's so crazy. You know, it's, I think anyone has the potential to do it. And, you know, I, I, I always take the view that, you know, if you're one of that, if you believe you're one of that 1% before you start, the chances are you're deluded. But if you don't believe it, that you're going to do it, why are you even bothering? So, you know, that's that mm. catch 22. Mm-hmm. You have to believe yeah. it. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Ex- exactly. Uh, yeah, I was just, you know, I, I'm fascinating. That's a that's a big data set, um, you know, of, of, of traders. And I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, when we're talking about, you know, gurus and things like that, when people come to you, are they fairly seasoned traders? I mean, you probably don't speak to a lot of newer traders. You talk to people who have sort of, you know, they've had a game plan and it's been crushed by some, you know, twist of fate or something like that, or they're on a down streak. Is that more of your well, clientele? I would say most of my clientele are actually on an up streak. Um so when I work with institutions, they, they will give me the people that they believe have got the potential to make more who are already good. And, and I usually, I, I, I try to avoid the term fixing, you know, it's, and, and mm. if they yes. think somebody's really on a down streak, you know, they might give one or two of them to me. If they say this guy's a guy who's made a lot of money traditionally, he's, or he's got a lot of potential, but he's just not doing it. They'll give those guys to me. Got it. Um, but you know, you're, you're right. I don't, I don't tend to work with new traders, um, guys who are in their first three or four years, because I, I don't teach method or system. And, and, you know, I say, you know, to those guys, go away and learn how to be a trader and see if you can, you know, the first two or three, four years, that's boot camp. You know, you've got to see if you can get through there. 
and and you need a mentor in that time. You don't need a coach. You know, you it, it may be that you need someone to show you the ropes. You know, and if if you're still standing after a few years, and you know you want to move up to the next level, we kind of use the analogy of, you know, if you make it to base camp, then I'm ready to work with you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of where I'm at. So some of my guys are, you know, five six years into their career. Some of them are 15, 20 years into their career. Um, the oldest guy I worked with is nearly 50 years into his career. So, you know, it's it's, it's a constant, you know what it's like, this job. Yeah. It's a constant battle. It never Definitely. ends. Exactly. Uh, I had a, to go back to the, the psychometrics and um, how to trade your personality. Uh, ever since I got into trading, I, I sort of, uh, I, I've done a lot of coaching for newer traders. And, um, it's come to me that you do have to trade your your personality. I have a quick question about that. I had one client who was a trial lawyer and very intelligent guy. He was a partner at a massive, massive uh, multinational law firm um, in the United States, international one. Um, you know, he had done IPOs of large, large NASDAQ companies, just brilliant guy, but he had a fighting instinct and he would fight the market. And he's one of the guys I could never help because he would always get into a position and then try and fight the market. And of course he'd get run over because he's just a retail trader. How do you, uh, how have you, have you seen that before and how do you deal with that? Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting because normally they're, they're trying to fight something within themselves. You know, the market just becomes a representation uh-huh. of whatever it is they're fighting. You know, they're trying to prove something, you know, the market doesn't have an agenda. The market just is, it's like, it's like, I always call it, it's like the ocean. You know, it doesn't care about you mm-hmm. and you know you just exactly. need to respect it and if you're fighting it you're fighting something within you you know you, you might be fighting something within your past a need to prove your own you know to validate yourself to prove yourself right you know it, it, and i do come across this and it's a huge challenge and it's you know it's a challenge that i meet you know i meet with guys who have been doing it 20 years and then you know, they'll suddenly get caught into a loop and they'll start doing this. So it's, it's not something that that goes away, but, it, you know, you, you can keep it. It's almost like you have to keep it at bay. I mean, a lot of these things, you know, I, I, I call it a bit like being an alcoholic. You know, you, you have to sort of just think that you've always got whatever your, whatever your you know, the, these areas, these little things that, that surface, they're, they're always capable of resurfacing any time. And you're never quite cured. You're constantly fighting it. So I guess I guess the awareness of it um, at all times when you when you find yourself in that situation, if you're if you're aware of your behavior, um, you know maybe that'll sort of spark. Well, there, there, there's one thing, yeah. There's, there's first the awareness. The, the other thing is where we go deeper. You know, we, we do a lot of deep work, um, and that is where we, you know, and I, I've got to be. I always, I always have to be a little bit careful because I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychotherapist, but I, I am trained in a particular form of coaching that um, that I, I studied and learned with psychotherapists, and I am actually accredited by um, by a European Association of Psychotherapists. But I'm not one. But we do do this work where we go below the surface and we try and help the people using various techniques try and understand what is it that's beyond consciousness that's causing these behaviors and it's incredibly empowering once they start to discover it. Hmm. That's fascinating. 
that's that that that's really fascinating because when I yeah, for myself, um, you know, falling down the 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 rabbit hole of retail trading has been a real eye opening experience in, into my own, you know, into all my demons. Um, and and when I started trading, you know, I I could make markets in 30 different stocks at the same time feed or order flow here there manipulate this do all that and then trading one contract on an e-mini futures contract would get me all upside down and my blood pressure would go up and um you know and and that's a function of me not knowing what i was doing number one uh but i took a lot of you know time and i i, I found myself not taking trades or being afraid to take trades because i felt like i didn't deserve to be successful again um, how have you encountered that with people where they sort of hold themselves back because they feel they don't deserve it yeah. because they're sort of yeah. punishing themselves? Yeah, I do. And, um, you know, when I'm, I see this a lot and, um, you know, they, they don't always use the term, I don't deserve it. Um, but they do use various other forms of that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's happened so often, you know, it's, it's something deep in the subconscious normally. And, you know, you're, you're right. Well, you said at the beginning, it's, you know, I think trading, it, it finds every single part of you, every little chink in your armor, it will find. Wow. It, it, it's fascinating yeah. how it does that. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, I, I've, you know, I've done a lot of things and, and um, you know, I, I've pretty much worked every job other than being a waiter because <laughs> I'm too clumsy. I've, you know, I've built power lines. I've been a heavy duty construction, uh, heavy duty mechanics assistant, all of these things, but trading retail is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and it's because I've had to figure out myself and my demons. And so that's why it screws, really, it screws really, with people in ways that just no one can quite understand. You know, a few years ago, I, I met this Dutch guy, this, um, this Dutch trader came up to me and he was, you know, he, he, he was actually, um, he'd fought in Afghanistan, uh, the Dutch had a small contingent um, with the NATO forces, and he was uh, he served in Afghanistan. And he came up to me and he said, "That was nothing." <laughs> he said, "He said I, I know." He said, "I know. I know my body was on wow. the line, but my mind could deal with it." Mm -hmm. But he said this. He said it's just in wow. a whole new league. You know. So, it, and I that always stood out for me in that conversation because you know I didn't want to be frivolous because he'd experienced. You know, you know, sort of life under fire, and yet he was telling me that you know that in in his mind that was nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's funny you say that because one of my clients was an ex bomb disposal guy, and you know he would be like, "Oh, JJ, this is nothing." You know, just try defusing a bomb. You know, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's okay. You can do that." But you know, uh, no, I, I do. I guess it, the perspective of of that sort of thing. Um, I was wondering, um, you know, for a lot of traders out there, uh, we go through periods of drawdown um, where you just can't see the market or you're executing poorly. Um, how do you how do you sort of get guys back on track? Right. Okay. So you know, it's I suppose you have to get clarity. Um, you know, I, I've experienced it myself, so I, I've I've experienced that that deep hole you go into. And the tunnel visual, the tunnel vision that develops when you're there, and you know, and and sort of the you can't see anything else, you can't see beyond the screen, and it, it's incredibly difficult. And I, I go back to a client of mine who I was asked by the, um, it, it was a bank, 
So it was a client at uh, the head of FX asked me to work with this guy who he said had got into a complete hole with his trading. And his his drawdown at that point was one and a half million dollars. And his 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 stop loss for the year, and that was literally if he hits it, he's out, was two million dollars. And he said, This guy's already got, you know, the 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 head of the, the overall head of trading has already said that he wants this guy to, you know, he wants he wants the head of trading for the FX desk to get rid of this guy. And, you know, he he, <laughs> he said to me, he said, Could I work with him? You know, he's got half a million dollars left. He just seems to lose money every single day. He doesn't, but he really wants to help him. He really wants to turn it around. Could I start working with him? So I met the guy or, or we, you know, we had a phone call. He was in a different country. So we had a call. And by the time we'd had the call, he was down to 1.8 million down. He literally had 200,000 to go. Wow. So we did a first session and it, it was an emergency session. You know, we don't normally do these sort of coachings, but I said, you know, I'm going to have to speak to you every couple of weeks rather than the usual sort of more structured program. And um, two weeks later, I called me up and I said, you have to stop trading. You have to break out this cycle. You have to not do anything. You know, you have to get your mind clearer, you know, bring some clarity to your mind because whatever it is, you're not seeing it at this point. You're not seeing the market. And then the next time I spoke to him, I think it was just a week later, he dropped another $150,000. So he was at 1.95 down now. Wow. And I said, you know, what? you've got 50000 left. You're not going to make your money back from this. Yeah. I said, what happened? You, were sp- you said you were going to stop trading. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I was going to stop trading. but And I did for about half a day. But I saw this Aussie dollar move and I, I jumped up. And I was, I was like, <laughs> no, no, this isn't no. happening. Anyway, I said, yeah. now you've got no choice. You've got 50 grand. You know, you're not going to talk to me if you carry on trading because you're not going to make it to the next session. Just stop. Just don't look at a screen. Bring in a book, whatever, do anything. Anyway, the next time I spoke to him was a week later. And he said, I haven't traded for a week. I said, how do you feel? He went, I just feel relieved. He said, it's really strange. He said, I'm not looking at the market. But I've, I've Come, I just suddenly feel so much better. So I said, okay, so we're going to try a few things just to perhaps try and get you in the groove. We're just going to do the smallest trade possible, which he found really hard because, you know, size size matters in these, you know, in these banks. Exactly. You know, I said, oh, I yeah, want you definitely. to risk no more than five grand on a trade. And he like laughed at me and he said, you know, even retail traders wouldn't do that. And I said, don't worry about what anyone else thinks about you. <laughs> Just do it. Just to get you back in the groove, see what you could do. It's a relevant size. See if you can do it. And um, the next time I met him, he made 10 grand doing that. No drawdown or loss. And I went, that's brilliant. That's probably far harder, you know, for you than you were when you were trying to make big money because the size. I said, how much did you risk? And he told me it was, it was, you know, it was literally hundreds, you know, and he said the size was a bit embarrassing, but. Oh, yeah. You know, his broker understood. And then he just started to claw it back. It was incredible. And, and by the end of, the, I mean, the next time I met him, he made 100,000, which was, you know, incredible. And then he suddenly said, you know, I, I know I'm still close to my drawdown, but I haven't got this red flag hanging over my head. I haven't got an axe. 
over my head that the, the senior manager's not on my back at the moment. He's given me time to try and see if I can prove my worth. And then he just went on this run. And, and by the end of the year, he, he was still a million dollars down. But to make that back from there was incredible. And he was retained at the end of the year. Um, somebody else on another desk was a person that you know, had to get their headcount down by a couple of people at this point. But he was retained. And, it, it, you know, the next year he, he had a brilliant year. So, it, you know, you can do it, but you've got to break the cycle. the cycle that's uh that that's great advice it's um it's something that all of us struggle with um and sort of along that line too uh i find in when i was on on the other end or the other side of the desk um you know emotions really didn't play that much because you know you're running two three hundred trades a day and you're basically trading order flow um so you know it's you're doing a lot of you're an order taker trader, you know, where you're working out blocks of stock for me. But in retail, I find that you need so much to be present uh, mentally. Um, and what I'll do is if I'm having a bad day emotionally or something's wrong in my life, I just won't trade. Now, uh, a lot of people have trouble with that, but I'll just sit on my hands and say, I'm not feeling right. Uh, my emotions aren't right. Um, you know, I'm not going to trade. Um is there a way um, to to be able to like isolate yourself so even if the world around you is collapsing that you can focus and trade? Is there is there anything that you sort of you know? I yeah. I, th I think you know you know one one of the things that I I do in my work is trying to get people present. So you know I try to understand the systems that they're part of the bigger systems you know that they're you know we don't just look at what they do in their job when they're sitting at their desk but you know what are the influences in your life what are your family systems what are your social systems you know what's your um what's your financial position you know if, if you're trading and, and you know there's a risk the roof's going to come off on your head on the house because the, the, the mortgage guy is coming that's true i i don't think you can make money you have to be in an optimal place you know we talk about how hard it is this job you know it has to be full focus you have to be as present as possible because if, if you want to be one of that one percent you have to be so damn good and that means being fully focused like a sports person you know having that kind of almost laser light focus and you know that that one percent they're taking the money from the other 99%. They're not taking it from anywhere else. And, you know, it's not money that really exists. It's money that has to be taken from someone. It is a zero-sum game. So, you know, you have – and you're right. If you're not right, if you're not – if something's not feeling right, you're probably going to lose money. And, you know, you have to remove yourself. Or you have to find something to distract you. And, you know, too many people, mm -hmm. they trade when they're suboptimal, which means you're just you're just paying. Yeah. You're paying someone to give your money away to somebody else. You know, it's, it, it's almost like and exactly. I, I know I know Ray's a big poker guy. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's almost like joining a poker table, paying to be at that table and knowing that you're just going to give the money away to the other guys. Mm hmm. 
Very true. Right. True. Huh. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting because that that's, I've sort of spent time learning the market. I see, you know, um, you know, I see my, you know, I see the strategy and I see my outcomes of up, down, sideways, whatever. And I know where my, my, uh, execution points are um but if i'm if i'm suboptimal i my execution is off or i'll hesitate or i'll or i'll chase or something like that and and it it took me a couple of years to figure out oh okay my emotions aren't like i'm not calm and so i'll just stop trading until i am again but um you know it'd be it's a hard thing to do i mean you see it in sport all the time you see a player who you know his head goes you know a tennis player is a you know, it's so visible in tennis. You see a guy double fault, and then you know he'll just crumble and lose the rest of the uh, the rest of the set. And then he's got a little bit of time to try and reset, and he does the reset stuff in between games. But you know you don't get a lot of time, so you see that in sport. You know, and the 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 coaches see they they pull a player off because they'll see you know his head's not in the right place. You know, it, it's hard to do that, but it's hard to do in trading. You know, it, there's, there's something else I wanted to mention, which uh, if I could, you know, you talked about that move from Jeez. market maker to trader. You know, it, it, I, I work with a lot of people who make similar moves. You know, market makers um, are becoming less and less. There's less of a less of a job as a robot. Oh, gosh. Yeah. As a robot. Yeah, yeah. We're dinosaurs. Yeah, so, um but there, there's a lot of guys trying to set themselves up as traders. I've worked with some. Um, I've also onboarded some from market making roles into, you know, into prop roles in hedge funds. And the transition catches most people out. And I always use the comparison when you're a market maker, you're like the house. You know, you're really playing a different game. If you think of blackjack, the house is not playing the same game as the players. And when you're when you're a prop trader, when you're a retail trader, you're walking up to the table and you're playing that game, and you're playing a very different game to the game that the, the dealer's playing, the house is playing, and, and it's it's almost like two different jobs. And that's right. You know that catches out so many people. Yeah, I, I, it got me out the the very you know the first. Six months, uh, you know, a couple of months, definitely. I, uh, you know, I was my ego just took a beating, you know, because, you know, I I've manipulated stocks yeah. from thirty cents to three hundred dollars, uh, and <laughs> you know, and then I can't I can't you know trade you're one from an ES contract. You're allowed to stay manipulated. So <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know, it's I think the statute of limitations okay. on this stuff is gone. Okay, I'm pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you disappear but, halfway through this call, we know what's happened. He said worse. Yeah, he said worse on this podcast. He's still here. Oh, most most of, most of my ex clients look like characters right. out of a John Wick movie. So, you know, <laughs> you know, they'd call me up and they'd go, "JJ, we need distribution today." <laughs> right, right. Okay, so you're you're a bouncer as well, I guess. So, that's right. Yeah, I started out as a bouncer. Well, I, I went to school and I got you know I went to school for microbiology, 
because I'm a typical Asian kid that his parents wanted him to be a doctor, but I had no talent, nor did I have the brains for medical school. Um, so I, I moved out to the West Coast and, and uh, was working as a bouncer. And I was working as an organic chemist making shampoo in the daytime, working in a bar at night. And that's where I met the traders from the uh, <laughs> Vancouver Stock Exchange. So uh, I, I sort of got in the, into the industry a very right. non so, um, way. There's, there's many routes into it. <laughs> So that's one of them. <laughs> I mean, they used to be like they used to be like that when we, yeah. you know, back in the eighties and nineties. You know, you, you just had an interview with someone in the pub oh, here yeah. in London, and if he liked you, you got a job. You know, exactly. You can yeah, start in the mailroom yeah. or something. Yeah, absolutely. You know? We did have guys who started in the mailroom. They, they 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 became some of the best traders. Yeah, and the guys who joined from university were sort of behind them after a few years. I think it's I think it's wits. I think that's they lived true. on their wits, and I think that's what got them through it. Mm. That, that's mm. um, one thing I read in the interview was how to let go of outcome. Um, the, that that's something I had to struggle with too. Was I was focused always on the outcome of the trade. Um, how do you sort of you know coach people through right. something like okay. that? Right. Okay. So. It, it's it's almost that that almost comes to sort of trying to get them to sort of redefine a little bit what they're doing and get them to think about the job in a broader sense. So I, I have I have a model which I use, which I've I've evolved from psychotherapy, which is to say that the the, the trade is a process, um, and it's an entire process. It's not just when you put the trade on. You know, it's it's seeing it through. To the conclusion, it's it's letting go of it, it's leaving it behind, and then it's starting again with the next trade. And it, it's you know it's part you have to see it as a process and a series of processes, a series of loops. And you know as long as your model is good and it's got a positive expectancy, but you can't always tell it's got a positive expectancy. But as long as it's a process that you that you feel is going to work, and historically it shows it's going to work. And you're doing the right things. I mean, you can't prove anything's going to work in trading. This is part of the problem. You know, you're always dealing with uncertainty. But you just have to trust the process. So you may get a run of losers and a lot of a run of winners. And, you know, if, if you came up with a trade and say you had a, a, a target level, an entry level and, and a stop level, and it's incredibly difficult to think of it, but you've got to think of a bigger picture. This is a process. And you have to trust that process. You have to learn to trust the process. You have to factor that in. You know, everyone does it. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest successes I had was we had a trader in a fund um, who, who came to us. He, he joined from a bank. And he'd, he'd been a great trader in the bank, but he was struggling in the fund. And we, we you know, we, he, he, he was a very diligent record keeper. So he kept a record of every trade idea he had, where he wanted it to go, or where he, had, where he hoped it was going to go, how much risk he was going to put on and where he was going to get out and what circumstances would change that might cause him to change his thinking on these trades. And we got him to run through three years of these and see what the performance would have been if he'd stayed with the ideas he had. 
and the performance would have been amazing but his actual performance was awful um i mean he was just just keeping his head above water which you know in a fund you can only do for so long uh they don't, they don't have much patience for it exactly you know? <laughs> um but they, they, <laughs> no they believed kidding. in him which is why they, they they put him through for the uh the coaching and you know once he actually realized that if he learned to trust his process his results would have been you know really dramatic you know and I, I don't think anyone can ever do it you know it's incredibly hard to do exactly what your theoretical ideas would do but you know just allowing him to do that exercise he realized that you know I have to learn to trust my process. You know, and we, we revisited this every single time we met. So he started getting a mantra in his head of trust in the process. You know, and, and I always say to people, keep records, you know, keep a journal, you know, look back over it, assess where it would have gone. You know, start to see the patterns that are working for you, not just the market patterns, but your own patterns. And, and as you do that, you'll learn to trust them more and then you'll stay with things longer. You know, and you'll give them room to kind of breathe and to come to life. But it, it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. That's why this job is so hard. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I, you're I definitely know you would hear You're fighting I'm yourself. Very, you're not fighting the market. That's uh, that. That's very true. And 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 my actually my next question was. Uh, do you believe in, in keeping a trading journal? I mean, I do it, um, and and I find it helps me quite a bit. Yeah, not, not every uh, not everyone does it, but do, do most. Yeah, to me, this this is keeping a journal is the hard yards of trading. You know, it's it, it's boring, often. Um, you know, it's mind numbing. It, it, it's tedious. A lot of people just start it and then forget to do it. But it, you know, it's like if you you know if you want to run a marathon, you've got to get up and. You know, you've got to pound the streets early in the morning, you know, when it's freezing cold or when it's really hot. Mm. Um, and you've got to stretch yourself. You can't just pound the streets, but you've got to try and get certain times, you know, work on certain points. And if you're not doing that, you're not getting better. And you're never going to sort of be able to compete in a serious level as an athlete. And it's the same with trading. You know, you have to do the extra stuff. And, and this is what people don't do. You know, all they want to do is watch the market all they want to do is put on a trade. They're not developing themselves. And developing yourselves, it, you know, that is the hard yards of trading. Very true. Very true. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. It was uh, very, uh, you know, it, it's really mind expanding having someone who's, uh, you know, it's one thing, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who's a PhD in psychology and brilliant guy, but he's never traded anything in his life so it's nice to have uh someone who's actually been in the trenches um you know understands what we go through and uh then can help um yeah then can help I, us I figure think, out i think ourselves. that's what you know when i do work with people i think that's what resonates with them in that you know I, i've been in their situations I, I don't pretend to have the answers because you know every person's situation is slightly unique but i, I can resonate with them and i can cut through you know the noise to sort of ask the right questions It's uh, th thank you so much because I, when I started this whole thing, you know, people would say there's three pillars. There's, you know, your, your trading methodology, your money management or risk management, and then your, uh, the psychological. 
And I find that the the trading methodology or the edge and the risk management, I, I don't think you should even click a computer mouse or take a trade before you even know what those are or have figured that out. But uh, the psychology of it, I found that that is the thing that, 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 you know, that has gotten me and that gets me every day. And that's something that I have to keep working on. So I really appreciate um, having you on the show to, uh, to help clarify a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Well, well, I still got a, um, I got a couple questions left for Steve. So don't, so don't go nowhere yet. Um, yeah. So Steve, so, um, and I'm going to try to articulate this question um, correctly, but like for myself, so drawing from my uh, experience from poker, right. Going back to talking about um, in poker, we call it like downswings. I know you guys call it down draw, right? So going through like downswing and, you know, how I try and like rationalize myself, like rationalize me keep playing, right? Because when you alluded to earlier, like JJ was asking about working with people who just want to keep trading their like fighters, I would probably describe that's like my style. Um, Like I always want to battle. I want to get in there. I want to play with people. And in poker, it's a little bit different. But you know, when I would go through downswings, how I'd rationalize myself still playing day in and day out would be like, okay, I know I'm better than my opponents. Like I, I, you know, my, my, my approach to poker is very like rooted in game theory. Right. And I know it's like, Hey, I'm better than my opponents. Emotion. As long as I'm not like, I can sense I'm over emotional. I'm just going to play based on my strategy. I'm gonna stick right to it. Emotion is not even going to matter. Yeah. Like, is that just rational? Like, what would you say to me, like, with that rationale? I don't think you can fight your emotions. It's the same thing. I, I mean, I always say to people, you know, embrace your emotions. It's it's part of who you are. You know, it's it's like trying to lose your shadow. <laughs> you know, try, mm-hmm. try, try and understand how they're going to come to the, you know, how they're going to appear at the table. You know, it, rather than fight it, you know, you might be able to use that. So, you know, we, we've got some traders who are really... I would call them nervous traders. Um, they've got a nervous energy about them. And they are brilliant at feeling the market. And they make a lot of money doing very quick in and out short trades. And, and really what they're doing is they're going, they're going to their strength. You know, they're, they're emotional guys and those emotions give them an advantage. They seem to have mm-hmm. this split second ability to just feel where the market's going, to just sense what's going to happen. And that is a huge edge. And they use it to their advantage. They're also clever with it. They know they can't do it all day long. You know, it, it, it's going to exhaust them after a very short amount of time. And the best example I saw of this was an FX trader who was a day trader, and he worked at a fund. Um, and he was he was in and out of market from 7 o'clock in the morning. But he would stop at 1. He said, after that, I've got no edge. I've got no advantage. And this guy was trading big size. He was a really nervous individual. And in, in one year, the year I was 2015, I think it was, he made over $100 million day trading at this fund. <laughs> he, he was like, a, he, he knew his limitations and he knew his strengths and he went to that. And then I've got other guys who can sit back and they're not phased. They can have huge risk on. Uh, they don't do the in and out trades. They, they'll run them for weeks and months even, you know, and they can just get on a plane and fly around the world and they're out of touch with the market for 12 hours, 15 hours. And, and you know, it's, it's a different sort of trading and they have a different sort of uh, energy with them. And they're, they're still emotional, but they're emotional in different ways. Um, it, it's not an obvious emotion. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's really interesting because I want to bring in a guy who comes into nearly every single um, podcast that I talk about 
who was a poker player. And he, he was a brilliant mm-hmm. trader as well. He worked for a bank in, uh, in Asia. And I was coaching him at the time. He's working for a US bank. And it, when I started working with him, he, he told me that he plays poker. He goes over nearly every weekend to Macau and takes parts in tournaments over there. Mm. And his trading style was very similar to his poker style. And he said to me one day, he said, and, and I'm sure this is a different style to you, but he said to me, when I'm at a table, he said, I'm no better than any other tr- player there. He said, they're all as good as me. He said, you know, they, they all understand the hands, the cards, the value of the hand. You know, they know the rules. He said, playing poker, I'm no better than them. He said, but walking away, he said, I can wipe the floor with them. And that's what his thing was, walking away. So if he wasn't mm-hmm. seeing the cards and they weren't falling his way, he knew that at some point his emotions are going to come out and he'll start playing hands he shouldn't or he'll start going up against people who have been, you know, who have been getting the part, the pyros building and they're going to outplay him. And he had no shame in walking away, just saying, guys, I've had it. I'm not, it's not, I'm not seeing the cards. And obviously they're trying to keep him in because, you know, if a guy's losing and, you know, his pie was <laughs> shrinking, you know, the guys yeah. who are making the money want to keep him at the table. Um, but it, it, it never fazed him. And, you know, he, he actually, I didn't realise it because, you know, this guy was, he didn't reveal this to me, but I found out afterwards. He was actually ranked in the world's top 200 poker players at the time. Yeah. Wow. And, and that was the thing he did. And he did the same with his trading. You know, he could get out of a position, walk away, not go in the market for a few days, maybe even a couple of weeks, because he needed to get closure in his own mind. So A, he could come back fresh, and B, he wouldn't he wouldn't trade on tilt. And he wouldn't be playing right. poker on tilt. Mm, it was right. the same same strategy. Same strategy. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think like um that's definitely like one of my uh, like weaknesses when it comes to poker. I, I think like at least how I like try and rationalize it to myself. I think sometimes I like, you know, like, oh, I've, I've prepared so much. I've, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I'm like just trying to trust my preparation. It's okay. Like, but I'm ignoring that emotional side. Like I'm like, it's almost like I think like it's like my ego, like, oh, like I'm above it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's probably an ego involved. I would imagine. Oh, huge. huge. And, and this guy had virtually no ego. You know, he was as close to anyone that I've met who is egoless. You know, he does have an ego because you need a, you need to have an ego to step out into the market every day and to want to succeed and to have that drive. But he, he knew how to keep it out of the market. But he said to me, he did say to me, Steve, how do I cope with this? I'm struggling with this. And I'd say, look, leave the desk, go away, go for a walk. Or he had distractions that were affecting him that were, um, you know, sort of, to use the phrase, putting him on tilt again. So we worked out a way. You know, it was about getting his environment right, you know, his trading environment. You know, so, so you know, he, he was all about being allowed to be in the optimal state so that he could just be at his best when he's in the market. Yeah, no, that, that's that's great. No, I think um, just, just, just talking to you now, like going forward, I'm like going to – like I can already feel like I know I'm going to be more mindful going forward. And, um, you know, another question that, um, it's, it's poker related for me, but this will also, uh, be relevant for traders. Like, uh, so for me, for like, like me playing poker, like I'm, I primarily play online, right? So 
it's a very like lone, I guess, quote unquote, lonely thing. And like, you know, you got a lot of traders who are listening. They just trade at home alone. Um, and that's always been like a struggle for me. Like, I, you know, I don't I only don't have too many like poker friends, like people who I can talk to who understand what it's like when I'm going through a downswing or who I can like talk hands to about or just like, no, you know, they just know like what I'm going through. And, and it's like I feel like it's always been a tough thing for me. Um, what are your thoughts on people cultivating like, you know, a community or having trader friends, et cetera? It's essential. I mean, I'm a huge, you know, we, we spoke about this on, um, we, we did a podcast with a guy called Mark Hutchinson, um, who's an FX trader, who's, you know, he's created a mentoring business. It's a whole community. Um, and, and he says, you know, it's, he found trading at low, you know, really lonely when he was doing it, it could be going out of his mind. And, you know, I think this is the hardest thing for retail traders. It's, you know, it's one of the things that's going to hold them back because you just lose yourself in your mind. And I did it for a few months, you know, when I, when I was at the end of, you know, in between jobs, you know, I traded for six months at home on my own. I had someone, someone was funding my trading. So, you know, I had some money behind me, but, you know, I could have gone into an office with some of the guys that the guys were funding, but they were equity guys and I was doing FX and, and rates. So I didn't feel any need to be, to be with them. I couldn't see the point of it, but you know, after just a few weeks, I started to go, it was going out of my mind. You know, that low, you know, I'd worked all my life with people oh, yeah. around me. I loved being in a trading room, you know, when you've been doing it for 25 years and oh, you me know, too. You, you're ripping people apart, yeah. but that's part of the fun of it. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, it's like a band of oh, brothers yeah. mentality, you know, you used to support exactly. each other. And you, and, exactly. And I, I just was, and I know a lot of people have said the same, you know, and I know this, like, it's almost like loneliness kills. Loneliness kills your trading. And mm. I think you need a community. That's why I think some of these mentoring services, some of these, you know, the FinTwit is a great community. I know it's not it's not quite human contact, but it, 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 in a small way, it starts to fill that gap a little bit. You know, and I, I think you need to subscribe it to does. some sort of, group some sort of mentoring group you know and and you need to get quite a few people because you know if you just have one or two you know they can drive you mad as well (laughs) (laughs) that's true actually and and i i found that i found a huge um problem with that when you know because i miss worse i miss working on the desk every day i miss the joking the practical jokes Um, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, like we'd always say, you know, we'd cut each other's heart out for an eighth, but when the chips are down and, you know, uh, you you know, you really need somebody, your guy, you, you know, the, you know, the the guys are there for you. And, um, and that's why, um, you know, I, I, I started with this room that I'm in and, um, it, it really, um, Twitter actually helped me get some new friends and things like that, because especially in the town I live in, yeah. nobody talks trading at all. Um, you know, most of my friends are retired police officers or law enforcement. and They don't even, you know, if I start to speak, they're just like, <laughs> shut up, JJ, we don't want to hear it. You know? So, you know, that we, <laughs> now, I think it's brilliant. And I, you know, I think yeah. belong to these groups, you know, I, you know, I, I think there's, you know, that, that there's, I, if you live in a big city, I think you can do meetups. There's quite a few meetup events around, but it, you know, it's good to form some of these and to meet other guys and, and to hear other opinions, other opinions as well, because you know, what happens is 
you know, you start getting that tunnel vision where you've got no one else to contradict your view or you can't share your view with someone and have them critique it. Um, or you haven't got other people to give you ideas because, you know, even though I'm not a fan of taking other people's ideas, you know, they can inspire you. You can go, you know, yeah, that's, that's a good exactly. idea. I've not been looking at that, you know? And, and a very yeah, I was always best when I had a partner that I was bouncing off. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, uh, Stephen, just a few more questions and, uh, we'll get you going. Um, you know, um, so your thoughts on paper trading, cause I've heard, you know, both sides of the coin argued that it's, you know, it's good for the learning curve. I've heard people say it's a waste of time because, you know, emotionally it's way different. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yes, <laughs> yes to both of those. I, I think, I think it's good for no more than about four or five weeks. After that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I, I use the analogy and I use a tightrope analogy. You know, paper trading is like learning to walk a tightrope. You know, it's you, you learn maybe two feet off the ground. So you learn the mechanics of it. You learn to balance. You learn the basics. And, you know, pretty soon you can you can walk that tightrope two feet off the ground after a couple of weeks, maybe. Um, but that's not that's not tightrope walking. Tightrope walking is when it's 50 feet off the ground. And, right. you know, it's, it's just fooling yourself. And, and that's the same with trading. You know, a lot of people learn to trade on the ground and that's not trading. You know, you've got to learn to trade in the air, you know, 50 feet off the ground where you're going to get, if you fall, it's, you're going to get hurt. And you need to get hurt to learn. And you need to, you need to learn to recover. You know, I, I got a great, great interview with um, an incredible psychologist, um, have you heard of Brett Steenbarger? Okay, so yes. we did a podcast with him. It's going to come out in a couple of weeks' time. And he made a point that most of the successful traders, most of the greats, suffered some catastrophic losses earlier in their career, some catastrophic failures. Mm. And, and, you know, he's interviewed but- a lot of these guys. And he said it was it was a recovery from that where, was, where they learned to trade. It wasn't the period before that. It was the recovery from the losses, the failures. And it's, you know, I think tell you tell you have those and tell that that's only when you start learning to trade. It's when you've had that fall, you know, the rope's been raised a little bit, you know, and, and you know, you rose a rope to 10 feet. But then that's not really, you know, that gets you going. You start to feel it. But then a lot of people can't move the rope higher. They stay at 10 feet. You've got a lot of guys who who, you know, they're not going to really make money to live on and now until they learn to trade at a hundred feet or 200 feet. But a lot of them get comfortable trading at 10 feet and they think they're doing okay, but they're not, they're not making enough to live on, which is another thing that there are some people that make money, but they don't make enough money to, to sustain um, a career, you know, to, to keep the costs coming in for the next 10 years. And, you know, and you've got to factor in, you may have, a year or two where you don't make money. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means your process has struggled or you're struggling to adapt and tell you them, you know, the market's not constant. The same market is not going to go for the next 10 years. It's going to change at various points and maybe in many points, you know, I mean, algos, they, they have a run where they work and then they stop working and then a new algo comes along and starts working. No system stays the same. 
And, you know, I, I know some guys who have, you know, been working, trading 20, 25 years. They have had three down years within that time, um, a couple of average years. And you have to factor those in as well and, and think it's not failure. It's just it's just the normal. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Stephen, so you um, in your Beyond the Trades uh, interview, you mentioned that balance is vital. Um, so question. So what would a balanced person's day look like? And is being balanced, is that going to like be individualized, like different for each person? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, I, I suppose, you know, I talk about, you know, quite a lot of guys I work with, they focus on their nutrition, getting exercise, being in the right mindset. Um, of you know, not allowing distractions from their social life or their personal life to come in, um, and th- and then they can be you know they can arrive at a desk in an optimal sense, and and then it's trying to focus on the market and you know it depends what your time frame is, uh, you know and, and are you doing okay you know can you live with the drawdown? Um, it's important and it's important to understand what your process is so. You know, you move out, but it's, you know, if you're agitated, you're probably not going to trade well. You know, if the market's really quiet, that could be the biggest problem. That that was often my problem when I traded. You know, I, I liked a, a fast, volatile market most of the time. And, you know, I had to, you know, be careful to sit on my hands when it wasn't happening. So, you know, balance means different things for different people. And again, that goes back to personality. You know, some people like a very evidence-based approach. So balance means staying with the evidence-based side of the work. Other people, they actually like the excitement and they thrive on that. And that's what gives them the advantage, you know, the novelty. So they've got to remain balanced in a way which allows them, you know, but they, 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 they will use that nervous energy and that excitement to be creative. You know, they'll have a different risk profile to the guys on the other side there, the evidence-based guys. And again, you're some that, you know, very, you know, big picture. And again, there's a, you know, there's a difference balance there. You know, they're not very good at the detail stuff and the detail stuff can bring them down. So they need to make sure that they're on top of the detail stuff. And then the other side, you've got the guys who are very detailed, but they're sometimes missing the big picture. So it's it, it, it all depends, again, where your personality is, where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and trying to sometimes balance those out so that your weaknesses are not going to bring you down and they can allow your strengths to thrive and come through and, you know, you can leverage them most effectively. So, so, so Steve, so what would be like um, a sign, right? Like a personal, like an internal sign that one would know that they're out of balance. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and I, cause I asked, because Steve, I asked it because, you know, you know, you always hear people say that, oh, you want to live a balanced life. You need to be balanced. And like, I always felt like, I don't know, like, what is that? You know, I know it's individualized and it's personalized, but what does that mean? Like, I, you know, it, it's hard, you know, and I guess it's a hard question, but like, you know, I don't know if there's something you found that where people it's like, oh, hey, like I'm feeling like burnt out. I'm like, I'm not enjoying playing poker anymore. So maybe that means I'm out of, you know, is there any like key signs you found? Yeah. Well, do you know, it, it's quite strange, but you know, funnily enough, I mean, I, I, I try and get people to notice it and it's incredibly difficult to do, you know, to notice it in yourself is the hardest thing. It's almost like the Holy Grail in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I talk Jeez. about some of the real great traders that I've coached 
They almost have this ability to step outside themselves and notice themselves. And that's that's what I talked about. When I talked about this guy who was the poker player earlier on, he almost had that ability to be both within himself and to be outside watching himself, which is how he was able to remove himself from the table. Because it would be like he'd tap himself on the shoulder and go, you're not seeing the cards. Let's close the pack. Let's not worry what anyone thinks. Let's walk away. And that's an incredible gift. And I've met quite a few people who can do that. And I try and work on people when I coach them. You know, it's about being present. The more present you are, the more you'll notice these things. And the more you'll notice the signs around you, you know, you'll notice maybe other traders who are struggling or you'll pick up on something which comes down a squawk box that gels with something you've noticed in the market, you know, pick up in the sound. And it gives you a split second to spot something. And, you know, I, I talk about my what was my best ever trade where I was completely focused and balanced. And I, I was down a lot of money at the point. Um, this was in 2007. But, you know, I, I managed to, I kept reminding myself, you know, this is a process. Don't worry about being offside or down or, or deep in drawdown. You know, the market's playing out the way you want. Not quite the way you want because you're losing money. But it, it's all part of the process. You know, it, it is still following what I was hoping was going to evolve. And then that kept me in the right mindset. I wasn't panicking. I wasn't, you know, thinking, oh, what's going to happen here? I just focused on the market. And on this particular day, we, we had um, some data released. It was US data. Uh, I think it was GDP. And um, the market made a move on this GDP data, which didn't quite, didn't quite seem right. It should have had a much bigger move. And that alerted me to something. And then I started looking at the volume in the market and the volume was something didn't seem right. And then I just loaded on this position, which is the same position I've been following for a few months, but you know, I'd increased it, decreased it. And I just hit my full limit on this position in seconds and this market just flew. It was actually the German bond market. We call it, it's the Bund. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, okay. And yes, it, it, it works. You know, it's very closely linked to the UST note. And it started this huge move, which lasted a couple of weeks. But had I not been at that point, at that second, in the right mindset, I would not, all these things wouldn't have come together at that point, which allowed me to just get this trade on exactly as I'd planned, wanted, hoped, within the structure I wanted. So it was it was me being totally present at that mm. point and not allowing myself to become unbalanced by the fact that, you know, it, it's been a couple of tough months. I haven't made any money. I've given some money away. I'm I'm in negative I'm in a drawdown situation, quite a big drawdown situation. Um it helped that, you know, I was in a firm, I was in a company, so I had the backing of my manager you know, who a couple of weeks earlier kind of said, look, Steve, don't worry about it. I've got your back here. That's why we talk about the, the loneliness thing. You know, when you've got people who come around to you exactly. and say, I've got your back, it's the most empowering thing in the world. It's like saying they trust you and then you Very trust yourself, so. you know. So. But that that was balance. And and this this guy who I talked about, the poker player, just the most balanced individual I'd ever met. You know, it, it was that ability to eliminate ego. And when I say I noticed something, so 
you know, if I'm if I'm scheduling a, a meeting with a coaching client and he's not answering me, quite often, you know, it, it, something's wrong. You know, he, he said, he's saying, can we hold it off a couple of weeks? Can we hold it a couple of weeks? And that's usually a clue that they're in a they're in a bad point. They're unbalanced. And I was working with this oil trader in uh, in America, um, and he was, you know, he was having a pretty good year, and then suddenly he dropped the whole lot in about two weeks. And he was a guy that was coming on to, you know, avoiding the next coaching session. So I knew something was up and this went on for about two months. And then um, it, it was really interesting because actually, you know, he, he called me up and said, I'm really sorry. I've had a bad, bad period. Um, let's do it next week. And he decided to take a week off before talking to me because he needed to clear his head. And then we talked about what happened and we worked on what we call closure, you know, getting closure on it. It's like, you know, it's like you marry a position. It's like marrying a girlfriend and she leaves you and you can't get over it, right? Um, <laughs> and he couldn't get closure on a bad trade three months ago. It just took him into a negative spiral that whatever he did was wrong when actually the market move he'd hoped for had actually panned out, which kind of was a, a double hit. Um, anyway, he got closure on this and he went back in over the next few months and now he's balanced and he traded like a demon and he, he actually made more money. Excuse me. Sorry. That's <laughs> You've got to ignore that sound. If you can edit it out. <laughs> um, he traded like a demon and he made more money in the next three months than he'd made in any single year. But you know, he got back to that point of balance and presence and being focused and doing the right things that he needed to do. The process. If you follow the process, and don't worry about the results so much. You have to worry about them, of course. It's process. It's all about process. Process orientation, not results orientation. And you'll get that as a poker player. The similarities are so huge. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, no. Like everything you're you're talking about 100% applies to me. And no, like seriously, just like listening to like you talk and talk about these things, like I feel – like I already feel a difference. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I'm going, I'm going to the table with a new mindset now. And, um, yeah, no, great stuff, Steven. And just, uh, you know, I was looking over our listener questions. Um, and so I just got one more question for you. Cause I think this would, this question you'd be best suited to answer. Um, and it's from, uh, at trading buddy. Um, hi, I'm a fairly new trader. I see my best chart setups happening yet. I have a hard time actually executing them at the price entry I set. I end up missing good opportunities or entering them later, uh, later than I wanted. What can I do to overcome this fear? Ooh. <laughs> okay. So um, I, I suppose in a sense, I'm going to be a little bit of a, a, a chicken here and say that, you know, I don't work with new traders generally because normally the guys I work with have gone past this stage. Um, I say that, that, that they're, they're at base camp and now they want to sort of get higher on the mountain. Um, but, you know, I, I recognize it from my own trading years. You know, when I, when I wasn't seeing it and when I wasn't feeling it, I wasn't necessarily taking those trades. And, and when I was seeing it and when I was feeling it, like I described a little bit earlier on, I would take them with, with you know, I could take them with my eyes shut. You know, so it's he, he's got to get to that point where he really starts to feel it, you know, where he's got to trust himself. He's got to trust his process. You know, like like I described the hedge fund guy earlier, he, he moved from the bank to the hedge fund and he had too much noise going on his head that was distracting his process. You know, he was worried, 
you know, are there, is the hedge fund, are they going to get rid of me? I'm not doing as well as the other guys. Look at that guy over there. You know, he's killing it. You've got to remove all that distraction. And you've got to start trusting yourself, you know, and you've got to start trusting the process. And I'm guessing at, at this point, for some reason, he, he's he's not trusting the process. And maybe, and I, you know, without talking to him, you know, there could be other reasons. You know, he might be aiming for perfection. You know, there is no perfection in trading. It's an, it's an impossible concept. You know, you can only know in hindsight whether it was the right thing to do or not. Um, so you, you have to take a view. That is trading. Now, you know, if you're looking at a, a, a move and the market hits a level, you know, is it going to break through it? Do you anticipate it because you think it's going to break through it? You have no way of knowing it. Is it, do you wait for it to break through, in which case it could run away? You know, you've got all these things going in your head. You can't possibly know that, you know, and as, but unless you do it, you won't learn it because that's when you start feeling it. You know, it, it takes years and years. You know, I, I think on average, it probably takes four to five years to get comfortable trading. You know, if you're doing it in six months, you're still learning. You know, if you're a new guy, you're still learning, but you have to put yourself out there. You have to take the risk. You know, you have to walk on that rope at a higher level and you have to fall a few times and you have to know whether you're comfortable. Are you comfortable anticipating? You know, sometimes anticipating mm-hmm. is the greatest thing ever. Sometimes in what seems exactly the same situation, it was the most, you know, it, it didn't work at all. And you mustn't blame yourself. You know, it, it, it's so, to me, you know, when I, when I used to trade, try and trade, you know, chart levels and breaks, to try and get them exactly as you wanted them. You know, you get the false breaks, you get the, the mini spike, you know, yeah. you, you can't possibly know. No, but then you definitely. end up having that thing where you didn't take it and you go, oh, well, you know, what an idiot. I should have taken it. All the time you did take it when you go, <laughs> why did I just wait another few minutes? Yeah. You, you can't possibly exactly. know. Exactly. So you have to, <laughs> and you're, eventually you'll start to feel it and you'll, you'll get better at it. You won't get perfect, exactly. but you'll start to get better at it. You'll start to identify the times where it worked or not, you'll start to feel the flow. You'll start to read the flow and think, exactly. you know, last time it, it didn't do this. I'm not going to do it yet. I'm going to hold back. But until you actually feel that kind of in your heart, you're never going to get good at it. And you're always going to be staying where you are. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, that's, that's, that's very true. I can, I can tell that from personal experience that, that's so true and the longer you watch price action the more comfortable you get with it and it starts that's to speak it. to you that's it you, you've, you've summed it up there it starts to speak it does actually the market talks to you you know it, it's it when, when i go back to the analogy with the sea you know a, a great say you know a great sailor knows when the sea's doing you know the mark the sea talks to him mm. you know there's nothing in the charts that they can read but they've been there before. Exactly. They've seen it. They've done it. They've sensed it. You know that, that's what great traders do. And you know, I, I, you know, I used to work with some guys, and I was like, "How did they do that?" You know, I, I, I wasn't. I, I was a market exactly. maker for a while, but I wasn't good at market making. And there were market makers around me who were just brilliant. And I was thinking, "How did they do that? How did he know?" You know, yeah. it's. Yeah. it's and I used to work with spot FX traders who had no charts. They didn't trade with a chart. They just trade with numbers in front of them. The, the numbers on the screen are the price. Yeah. And they knew they traded all the levels, but yeah. they didn't know the levels. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, well, Steve, um, really appreciate your time. Um, very insightful. Um, and so for the, for the listeners out there that, uh, might want to, uh, look into you, get in touch with you, um, T- tell them where where they could do that at. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd suggest um, emailing. They can email me, stephen.goldstein at alpha r cubed.com. So that's the letter R. Um, or info at alpha r cubed.com will also come through. And or they can they can contact me via direct message on Twitter. So I'm, I, I'm at alpha mind 101. Um, so, so the, you know, there's various routes. I'll go, go on my website. There's a contact page and um, yeah. And uh, I, you know, I, I love this. I love this job. I love this business. I love coaching people and um, I love trading. I still do a little bit, but I don't talk about it much. It's, it's more of a hobby um, than a living. And it's, you know, you, everyone has the potential to succeed out there. And you know what guys It's great. Great talking to you. And what a great podcast you put together. Over, you know, I've listened to your episodes. You know, the banter between you is brilliant. It makes me laugh. And, you know, and it, it, you know the one the one you did, you know, a few weeks ago and um, with Steve, uh, JJ, that, that was a really moving podcast, that one. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that's why people tune into this, because you've, you've really started doing something special here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate um, having you on the show and, and um, you, your insight because, um, you know, so many people are clamoring for knowledge and it's, it's, it's nice to, to shine a light on, on, on ourselves yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, thank you. and if I'm ever in Vancouver, maybe we'll grab a beer one day. Well, definitely. I'm, I'm actually That's in Saskatchewan okay. now. So but, um it, it's 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 not really a tourist destination. Wonderful people, kind of cold, uh, but definitely, I definitely do intend to make it to London. I um, uh, I, I I grew up with very uh, uh, very sort of British sort of parents. They lived oh, really? in London for ten years, so I grew up on Monty Python and and building minis and things like that. Right, so. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so you, you know the lay of the land. Yeah. Well, if either of you are in this side oh, of yes. the water, or I'm, I'm ever over there. I do get there sometimes, but normally New York rather than uh, than the West Coast. But um, you know, it'd be great to catch a beer one day. Would be lovely. I would. I okay. really look forward to it. All right. All right. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate the uh, the kind words. Uh, very nice. And then also, listeners, make sure you check out this guy's podcast, uh, Alpha Mind Podcast. Correct. That's right. The Alpha Mind Podcast. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Check that out. Obviously, we. Um, Great podcast, can learn a lot from him. So, Steve, thanks again, man, for your time. Pleasure, pleasure. Take care, guys. All right, all right. Thank you so much. All right, and um, now we'll uh, we'll wrap up the podcast. We'll just do the listener questions, um, and uh, we'll be on our way. Okay, so first listener question um, is from Michelle Frenchie Shizan. Hopefully, I said that right. Sorry, Frenchie, if I didn't. Um, as a new trader. Is it best to focus on one trading strategy to learn and know the insides and out before testing other strategy setups? And what is the best go-to setup for a beginner trader to learn? Is it low, plo- uh, low float penny stocks, mids to large caps, et cetera? What do you think, JJ? Well, I, I definitely think it's good for a new trader to learn one market to start with. Um, I don't really believe in setups. What I believe in is learning 
why the market exists, what the agenda of the players in the market mm -hmm. are, the structure of the market using something like profile, and the context um, of, of what the market is trying to do. Just like Steve said, you know, he, he knew the market on that big trade of his, something just didn't feel right. So he knew the market wasn't acting the way he thought it would. And, and those kinds of things, that insight you can only get from focusing on one thing. So I would say, uh, definitely learn one market. I would, I'm a huge advocate of the micro, uh, the ES micro, because it's a cost effective, uh, low barrier way to enter trading. It does not subject you to the risks and the dilution of penny stocks. I mean, I've, you know, uh, you know, being the executioner, I, I know penny stock trading, you know, you guys, you're fresh meat for me, for guys like me. So, you know, it's just, you know, that is not trading. That is buying somebody else's worthless paper. And hopefully you can get out of it before the price drops. Uh, shorting that stuff is hard too because it's hard to get a borrow. The micro is a nice market. It's liquid. It's regulated. It's based on the, you know, on real markets on the S and P 500. There are rules. You can short with one click. You don't have to borrow. There's no PDT rule, and uh, you know you don't have some sleazy promoter trying to unload a hundred million shares of worthless stock into your buying. So I, I think that is the best thing to do, and then the best thing to the way to see that is, you know, um, start looking at uh, market profile and start learning the structure of the market and, you know, how you, you know, basically the market is there. Why are you in it? And what is your purpose in the market? And once you understand those kinds of things, um, it will help you, um, you know, sort of move forward. But, but, take the time to learn one market well. Right, right. Shout out to Frenchie for the question. Thank you for that. Um, and also shout out to at Trading Buddy uh, for the question that we we directed at Steven earlier. Um, all right, next question. And this is from at Hollow Possum. Uh, what percentage should a day trader shoot for gains and losses on average? Uh, I... <sighs> That, that's another tough question that, I, you know, I hear people saying, well, you should make $500 a day. Uh, well, you know, guess what? Some days you're not going to. Some days the market's going to be choppy and you're going to do one trade, um, you know, and it, the more experienced you get, you'll say, you know what? This market's choppy. It's a pickpocket market. I'm going to sit out. Thank you very much. And, and you won't make any money that day. And you have to be okay with that, Right. You have to be able to execute when the opportunity presents itself to you based on your understanding of the market. If you don't understand the market, you should not be executing. So what I think is more important than a percentage of gains and losses, losses, minimal, like really, really minimal. You know, um, your risk should be very, very minimal when you're starting out because your trading capital is your gunpowder. It, it's your bullets. If you were in a firefight and somebody was shooting at you, would you just take your gun and shoot it straight up in the air and waste all your bullets? No. You want to save your bullets for when you need them and when they count. So protect your capital, respect your capital. So your losses should be very, very small. And Therefore, also, you should not expect to make $10,000 a day trading or get sucked into the Lamborghini lifestyle videos, right? 
Trading is about trading well. This whole entire podcast we've been talking about battling yourself, you know, these are all the things that you don't, you're not even aware of when you start retail trading, right? You just sit down and, you know, I speak to a lot of retail traders that are brand new. They don't even know why the market exists. They think it's there for them to make money, right? It's like, no, that's not what it is. I mean, that's for us to make money off of you, right? You know, you're the fresh meat, right? And if you don't know that you're the fresh meat, that's even better for us. You're fresher, right? So, you know, like you're just a light, you know, like a small retail, you know, even if you take a $200,000 retail account, which is a good amount of money, that's a nice light snack for a market maker, right? That's, that's not even lunch, right? So protect your money. Don't try and say, I'm going to make 30% on my capital in the first week when you don't know you, you don't know what you're doing. Learn how to trade well, learn the process, learn how to be disciplined, learn how to do the work. And once you start doing these things, you'll be surprised at the results, right? And then you'll also be surprised at when you say, oh, wow, you know what? This market's not for me. There's something weird going on here. I don't understand it. Guess what? I'm putting my hand on my wallet and I'm kind of taking my ball home and for the day, right? I'm, I'm taking my ball. I'm leaving. Bye. Right. Cause guess what? The market's always going to be there the next day. Right. Your money may not. Mm-hmm. All right. Shout out to hollow possum uh, for the question. We appreciate it. Um, next question. And uh, it's from at miss social studies teacher uh, and shout out to her. This is actually finally the first listener question that I can answer. Um, and it's directed towards me, Ray. Um, where do you come with uh, come up with all the AKAs from in the intro? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've just grown up and lived around a lot of characters who, uh, you know, like to use language in a uh, unique way. And uh, I just use inf- inspiration from my daily life. And I can't give away too many of my secrets. So there's, <laughs> there's that answer. Um, all right. And last question. Um, and this is from uh, Mike Lee. Um, and so follow me on this one, JJ. This one's kind of long. Okay. Um JJ talked about when a market maker runs out of inventory, they have to go short. They have to go short the stock, and then we'll buy it back at a lower price after the buyers get worn out. For stocks that can go crazy, such as dries, is it possible that market makers will go broke during the crazy run? Was just curious about this after learning about inventory. Well, what exactly? And when when you see a deal like that, that. Basically, we call that a briefcase deal or a suitcase deal. And what that means is a company will be listed, but there won't be any stock available to borrow or trade in what we call the float, right? There's something called the Depository Trust Corporation where stock is deposited. And companies like that and manipulations like that will make sure that the stock is has been sucked out of the Depository Trust. So there's no supply. So what happens is a market maker is paid to be at risk, right? Market makers and specialists, their job is to be at risk. They're the buyer of last resort and they're the seller when nobody else is selling. But on companies like that, what they'll do, um, most of the smaller market makers will start to pull their quotes or kill their quotes off on a stock like that. They'll get burned for 5000 bucks on a bad trade and they'll go, oh man, this thing is thin. I'm getting out of here. And they'll, they'll exit out of the stock because it's not financially feasible for them to be at risk, right? 
market makers also have a certain amount of capital and they have to allocate that capital to stocks where they can make money from from being at risk um, on a rig deal like that dries or a suitcase deal or you know on these short squeezes uh, yeah you can really you know um, I, I have had you know like my clients my clients with like the guys out of John Wick um, you know they've blown up clearing firms on on short squeezes um, you know where they'd actually take down a brokerage house or a clearing firm because that clearing firm got too short the stock you know, they're short the stock at $10. Next thing you know, the stock's at 50 and it's pegged and you can't move it. Um, and, um, you know, the whole world is screaming and upside down and, and people are getting, you know, calls for capital and margin calls. And, you know, it's it's a horrible thing. So market makers, yeah, they will lose money, you know, just because, um, you know, they see both sides of the trade doesn't mean that they, you know, there's a reason that they make the money they do. And that's because they are paid to be at risk. At a lot of these market making firms in the old days, if you weren't at risk on a stock, they would take that stock away from you and give it to somebody who would be at risk on it. So on on these tight deals like, you know, DRYS in the old days, um, most of these guys, you know, you'll, you'll see like the really big market makers, they'll try and make a market in it, but then you'll see the spread. It'll be like $20 bid and $30 offered. Right. And that's the market maker trying to protect himself, um, and protect his capital from the risk that he knows that if he gets taken on that $30 offer, the next, the next seller could be 50. Right. And if he's short at 30, you know, you know, he, he, he's scrambling to buy it back and he starts inching that $20 bid up. It's, it's a, it's a tough thing. Uh, those, those deals are designed to take everybody, you know, they'll, they'll take the retail money. They'll take the market makers money. Um, you know, a, a good stock manipulator or is what I used to call a smooth criminal. Um, you know, that they can do damage on those deals when there is no, you know, there's one deal I did where we held a stock at 90 RSI for three months. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the float, the float was 5 million shares. The short position was 7 million. So we had, you know, the, the short position was bigger than the float and, um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and short it. You will buy all you want at 20. Guess what? You have to buy it back at 50. Thanks for coming out. Director, you know, director and, of uh, s- yes. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Market makers are definitely at economic risk. That's what their job is. That's what they pay. They get paid to do. That. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, shout out, um, to Mike Lee again for the question. Thanks a lot. And thanks to all the listeners, uh, once again. Um, and yeah, JJ, another good podcast. I thought that was, uh, very insightful. I mean, even on just a personal level for myself and I, and I gathered, uh, you felt the same way. Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I, I, I could have, sp- you know, Probably, uh, I could have used, uh, you know, used him two years ago when I started out. But then again, I wouldn't have had the experiences that I've had that yeah, he spoke right, to right. today. So, um, you know, it's I guess everything all in good time. So I, I was, it was really, really nice having him here. We don't usually get access to to people of that of that uh, level on oh, the institutional yeah. side. So I'm sure, very you know, happy and, and you know what, you know what I. Uh, it's funny, you know, and uh, shout out to Steve at Beyond the Trades. I mean, that was the first time I think that episode has actually gotten praise instead of criticism. Remember, remember it's, it's, uh, Steve, um, he uh, he complimented you. Steve Goldstein complimented you oh, yes, yes. on, on the, the podcast. I believe it was episode two, um, where which got a lot of criticism for Steve. Um, you know, I, I was out in Las Vegas, so Steve had to step in for me as host. 
Oh, and, yeah, I think that, that yeah, was no, episode I, three. I'm just, that's fine. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I, uh, you know, that's the first time it got some praise. So, you know, shout out to Steve Epi on the trade. Not everyone hated you as host. So. Oh, t- take it easy <laughs> on Steve. He's, you know, it's my brother from yeah. Port Jeff. Yeah, yeah shout out All to right. Steve, man. Oh, but uh, JJ, man, uh, another good one. Uh, thanks for doing it again with me. And um, yeah, I'll see you next time. It was my pleasure. Right. Have a great evening. All right, bye. Okay.